0: and welcome to the podcast ministry of New Life Church in Springfield, Ohio. We hope that the transformative truths of God's word impact, challenge, and bless you. How important it is to have the set cornerstone. Jesus Christ is that chief cornerstone, and you got to be perfectly aligned with him. Right? Uh, and and you, you have to understand who he is. You have to build everything on him. And uh, even the smallest variance, and you know, once we kind of step outside and do it our way, go a different way than what the word teaches us, it can be so detrimental. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but in the generation to come or in your life later on, the, uh, the dividends that it pays. You can start out a little bit off and then wind up missing heaven's gates. Amen? It's true, and that's why, um, that's why we need to build our life on the corner. So we need to get it set, we need to get aligned with it, it's not off. In any place where there's a divergence, we're off, amen? Amen. So um, I wanna talk about something today, um, or this evening. One of the chief cornerstones of his church is a, it's a doctrine, it's a concept, it's, a, it's something of extreme importance and it is the inerrancy of scripture. Amen? Some of you are not super familiar with the terminology, so uh, for those of you who are, then you know, praise God. We wanna kinda of reinforce and discuss a little bit, go into the word. For those of you who are, who are not, um, I wanna discuss the inerrancy of scripture. That means that the scripture is true, all of it. It's given from God. Right? It, it comes from the word of God, or the word of God comes from him, comes from uh, lots of different authors, lots of different times. You know, there's a, you know, a large span, and it's all in agreement. And the structural integrity of our faith is based on the inerrancy of Scripture. If you don't believe that, then it's a free-for-all, right? A given is required. Anybody remember geometry? Yeah, wasn't it horrible? Everybody, who liked it? Who liked geometry in school? All right, we got one. You did all right. Okay, really? Hey, we got a couple a couple nerds in here. I like the idea of it. Um, I wasn't necessarily good at it, but like you know the concepts and you know just uh, trying to find out you know the, the the area of a triangle and how to write out you know the theorems and the proofs. You know, it's it was pretty in depth. And uh, some people are better at it than others. Some people just have a natural knack. Uh, you know, for geometry, for, for you know, for, for that kind of thinking. It's not really me. I'm more, uh, I don't I, I, I like, I like history. I like art. I like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not real good in the maths, right? I'm not good at maths. Uh, that's not my, my strong suit. But I do remember um, how important it was to have a given. Anybody remember that? Writing out your proofs, writing out all your, all your stuff, uh, a given. So it, it, Man, I'm glad there's no, like, math. I'm glad Casey's not here because this would be rough. Um, But a given, in order to find, say you want to find out, you know, what kind of triangle it is. Is it an isosceles triangle, which means two long, skinny ones and then one smaller one. So two sides of the triangle um, are equal and the third is not, right? Isosceles triangle. Or um, equilateral triangle, which means it's just a perfect triangle. All three of them have 60 degrees. Um, You know, they're at 60-degree angles, right? So in order to find that, uh, you, you have to start somewhere. You have to know something in order to prove other things, right? So you're given, very simply, simply, you're given might be like, well, there's three sides of the triangle, okay, that's a given, and two of the angles are 60 degrees. Well, then you know the third one has to be 60 degrees as well. So you could build a very basic um, you know, theorem on that. You could, you could you know, make proofs of that. You have to have a given, though, Right? In order to have any kind of dialogue, any kind of understanding, there has to be some kind of given. We have to at least be speaking the same language. We have to be coming from the same. We have to have some common understanding in order to build an argument or understanding. Um, the given in script, or, or, of the Christi, of Christianity is that the word of God is true. You do have to kind of start there, right? Uh, and you can, you can reason your way to it, but in order to really understand Christianity, in order to really um, you know, have a relationship with God, uh, you, have to, you have to assume that the word of God is true. And then you can reason your way to it. You can see how it all fits together. You can prove it, but you have to, you have to start out with somewhere with faith, right? That's the given. Uh, C.S. Lewis talked about this, this given in some kind of different, in a different kind of terms. He said, I believe... In Christianity, as I believe the sun is risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. Does that make any kind of sense? So I, I believe in God, not only because, not just because I see God, but because through God, everything else lines up. Now I understand. Oh, I see. Now that would make sense. So there is a creator. There is an intelligent designer of the universe. Now that makes it, you have to kind of have a given. Um, you can reason your way to God, you know, backwards, but you kind of have to have that, and then everything else kind of falls into place. Like, okay, that's, that's the reason why, you know, genetic code is as complex. That's the reason why, that's that. That's what separates us from animals. That's what gives us worth. True intrinsic value is that there is a creator. So we have to have a given, and it's the Word of God. It's the most vital given in our faith the inerrancy of Scripture. You can go to the first slide, or second slide there. Inerrancy is the doctrine that the Protestant Bible is without error or fault in all its teaching, it's perfect, exempt from error. Scripture in the original manuscripts does not affirm anything that is contrary to fact. So those are all like, you know, different ways of looking at the fact that the Bible is true. And we, we believe the full, in the fullness of the Word of God. And e, yeah, even the scriptures where, uh, where it's talking about miracles, um, you know, some of the, some of the founding fathers, they, they believed they were deists, they believed things to a certain degree, uh, but then they, um, was, it, uh, was, was it Jefferson? I believe it was Thomas Jefferson who had his own Bible and he took out all reference to the supernatural and made his own Bible. What a useless piece of, of garbage to just divide up what you what you want to believe or what you have no no difficulty believing. Uh, but still, a lot of people do that, right? You know, we, we pick and choose. But the if if the Bible is true, then all of the Bible is true, right? And if we pick and choose, then it all become you know it's all subjective at that point. Um, go to slide number three, please. The Bible has stood the test of time because it is divinely inspired by Almighty God, written in ink that cannot be erased by any man, religion, or belief system. Through the many dark ages of man, its glorious promises have survived unchanged. That is because God's word is pure, the beginning and the end. His written word has survived every scratch of the human pen. That is so powerful because uh, we, you know, the word of God says we have this treasure in earthen vessels. You know? So we understand that whenever, whenever Jesus lives in us, we're still us, we're still not perfect. And so you could say, well, I'm looking at you and you're supposed to have Jesus living in your heart. You're not perfect. I know, I know. But the treasure I have inside is perfect. And people's understanding of the scripture is not always perfect. Um, you know, and people can even make Bibles that are honestly in error. But the actual manuscript, the the truth of what God has inspired is perfect. It's above error, it's above fault. It's infallible, the word of God. The inerrancy of scripture is what maintains the structural integrity of our faith. Now there's a reason why we have to believe what we believe. Ephesians 6 and 14 says, Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. I thought about that because I always thought of all the, you know, in, in Ephesians, we read about all the, uh, you know, the, the whole suit of armor. How many of you have had one of those as a little kid? Right? You know, it was like plastic, you know, gray, kind of silvery plastic, you know, they, they made the rounds suit. Sunday school, I had the sword, I had the helmet, you know, and the, the breastplate, and then like the little shin guards and the belt. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Okay, um, th- those were so much fun. And you know what the lamest part of that costume is? I felt like it was the belt. I mean, give me the sword anytime. The shield was nice too, and I liked the helmet. And I would just run around with those. Uh, the breastplate was not too bad, but, but the belt, I, I never did put that on. And, and he, honestly, in the scriptures, um, you're just like, okay, you know, you got all your feet are shod with it Well, that's not as cool as some of the other parts of the armor, right? And, and then the, having your loins girt about with truth. But well, in KJV, it kind of you know, changes the, uh, the phrase, again, you know, same truth, but it changes like the wording is for loins being girded. Um, it says, um, having your waist gird with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And so I, and I begin to think about how important it is to know truth, how to operate in truth, how to have truth that is unassailable as the cornerstone in your life, right? To know that some things are true and they're not gonna change. There's so much change, things, and things change quick. I mean, people are uh, you know, changing a lot. They're changing definitions, they're changing identities, they're changing truth, and, and they're changing history. It's nice to know that there are some things that don't change, and so I began to think about that. I was like, you know, the, the, how important is the belt, the belt of truth? And I thought, that's what holds the whole outfit together. You ladies, have, you have to have some certain item maybe you wear with your outfit because it just ties the whole outfit together. You know what I'm, you know what I'm saying? Sure. A little, a, little, yeah. a little something that brings the whole outfit together. But what holds the outfit together of our faith is knowing that it's true. Knowing that there's truth, that that, that we don't have to worry about this part you know, not being true, this part not, or maybe this one changing. You gotta have the belt. There was a comedian um, who... <laughs> Who was stupid and, but he made this, this silly joke and um, but it kind of stuck with me for some weird reason and he said, um, he said, "I noticed the other day that my belt was holding up my pants, but the belt loops of my pants were holding up my belt. and I began to ask myself who the real hero was. <laughs> I think that's hilarious. <laughs> right? Some of you are like,. Poof. Yeah, who's the real hero around here? And my belt is holding up my pants, but my, pa- my, my pants are holding up my belt. Like, who's the real hero anyway? Truth is the real hero. It's what holds together uh, our understanding of the word of God, of faith, all the promises that we take advantage of. We're like, okay, we believe faith. We believe in, in salvation. What, how how, to salvage, how do we not go to hell? We have to believe that salvation can happen. How does it happen? Well, we know that Jesus Christ died. How do we know that we can count on that? Because it's true, because the word of God is true. The word of God says so. Uh, the B-I-B-L-E. I stand alone on the word of God the B-I-B-L-E and how do I know that faith works how do I know that it can quench the fiery darts of the enemy how do I know that any of this matters because I believe that holding all together is I believe in the Bible I believe in the truth of God's word that it's real that it is cohesive that it's coherent that it actually works all that stuff is wrapped up and I believe in God's word that, that's how I know that salvation uh, is for me that's how I know, uh, you know that, that, that I'm forgiven because there's a scripture that says so and I have chosen to believe all of it. How do I know that I'm doing wrong? How do I know that the people uh, out in the world you know, who are trying to educate uh, stupidity into everyone, um, uh, how do I know the difference between right and wrong with this rel- relativistic attitude that everybody seems to have today? Because the Bible says so and it's still true. I have built my life, my worldview, on something that has stood the test of time—not some random collection from some uh, some uber liberal professor who, who decided he's going to change everything that that you know, about the nuclear family, everything about words, everything about about mental health, and all. I stand alone on the word of God because it stood the test of time. The word of God is inspired. Go to the fourth slide, please. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Amen. Now, where, where does the Word of God come from? I mean, you could, you could do weeks and weeks of study and deep delving into, uh, that. You know, uh, would that be bibliology? <laughs> I, you know, kind of like you, studying you where the Word of God, you know, how many authors, what years this, when this was written, um, how many of you are, are, you know, sort of familiar, but you could do it with a little refreshing, get into it, study the miracle of the Word of God, it'll build your faith up. 66 books. There are 23,145 verses in many different authors. It includes, it does include some eyewitness accounts, but it's not limited to eyewitness accounts. And together they form the perfectly cohesive doctrine and worldview of Christianity. Trust me, if there was a hole to be found, they'd have found it by now. There's no document, there's no worldview that has ever stood the test of time like this now you say why why are you so worried aren't we mostly agreed you know why why do we have to be so dogmatic about about the word of God why is it such a big focus in this generation to who we are now go to the fifth slide there she's on it tonight thank you sister Uh, one more The inerrancy of scripture is the foundational doctrine in which all other doctrines rest. The psalmist rightly said, if the foundation be destroyed, then what can the righteous do? I'm telling you, we are living in a time of open, violent, vile, and fearsome attacks on the foundations of truth. I've never seen anything like it. And that's not what really weirds me out. Now, some of you have seen my library. I love history. I've never hardly read anything like it. And that's freaking me out worse than anything. I've never even read in the, in the most extreme, insane periods of, of, of just lunacy and, uh, and, you know, and depravity. And I and I'm telling you, like uh, the, the time you know, the time of Emperor Trajan, you know, and the in the, the the Roman Empire, you know, under Caligula, these different, um, you know, just you know perversion, just you know, just celebrated in the streets, just the most perverse mindsets and ideologies in the world. I don't know if I've ever seen anything as goofed up as what we're looking at right now. What's being taught in colleges? That's how bad it is out there. And you say, well, you hammer this a lot. Good. Because it's here, it's at the, the the barbarians are at the gates as far as this demonic ideology that's being forced on our on our families, on our children. There is a movement undergirded by Satan that seeks to undermine the foundations of truth. That word undermine. Now it's it's I, you throw that around. You're like, oh, don't, don't undermine that. Like, don't undermine the confidence. Yeah, that's usually the word you hear with you. Know, like, he undermined his confidence by saying something about him. Uh, you know what the word undermine means, where it comes from? I was very interested to, to read that in another one of my dusty books. Um, to undermine something, uh, whenever you had a, a city with high, mighty walls, strong walls, a fortress... Um, there were some different ways in medieval times that you, could, um, that, that you could come against that. You could build ladders, and then, you know, hopefully the, you know, that, they'd be tall enough. Hopefully you'd be able to get enough men to overwhelm the defense. And you never attack a walled city unless you have about a 10 to 1 advantage. That's, and that's a rule that you need to know, um, clearly. Yeah. You never attack a walled city unless you have an overwhelming advantage so that you can use ladders. You can use siege engines, which were these big rolling platforms that you could roll up to it. And then, you know, it would open up into, you know, onto the wall. So you could do that. Um, You could try and batter down the gates. Maybe you could use artillery to knock down the walls. But there was a a sneakier and, and smarter way to take a walled city. You could undermine it. You undermine something. Now, what that meant is, you know, from a safe distance, you could begin to dig a little tunnel and then tunnel up underneath the wall. And as soon as you were under the wall, then, you know, you could either set an explosive charge. If those hadn't been invented yet, then you could just continue to dig and remove things, remove the, uh, uh, you know, more and more dirt from underneath the wall. You could undermine this, this wall. And then once you had removed enough of the foundation, the wall would crumble down and the enemy would... Breach the city, causing death and destruction and all the horrible things that would ensue when an an enemy army would breach a city full of people. The horrible stuff that would happen, but how they would do it, the most effective way was to undermine the foundations. And that is where we get the word. And that is what's going on today. The enemy is undermining the truth of God's word, of logic, of, of faith of camaraderie, of every good and decent thing seems like it's under attack and it's under siege. It's being undermined. And we have got to stand on the truth of God's word. We have got to draw a line in the sand. We have got to refuse to be undermined in what we believe. The changing truth and definition. Slide number six, please. The inerrancy of scripture is essential and not optional doctrine for the church. Otherwise, we are cast on a raging sea of subjectivism, with high priesthood of scholars who assume the position of God, telling us what we should and should not believe. That is where we're at today. The high priesthood of scholars, and it's not just about uh, it's not just about the science. It, it's about it's about ideologies. It, it's not just pushing fact and truth. Like, um, you know the. the you can lie very easily with statistics. And we see it every day. I've seen things that, you know, that, that, that hardly bear uh, you know, contemplation. And I'll tell you one of them. Up until the last couple years, uh, transgenderism, all, which was called gender dysphoria, the actual mental illness, which we should not mock, because some people really, really do have serious problems and mental problems, and it is nothing to, to take lightly. You know, we need to pray for people. You know, ju- ju- with any other uh, mental disorder, any other you know, uh, you know, physical disorder as well, you know, people are broken, people are hurting. That doesn't mean you know, that some people are genuinely hurting and they need prayer. What they don't need is to, uh, is to have somebody come by and empower a lie in their life that they're a slave to. And that's what people do. Uh, you know, I, I demand that you join me in my dysphoria. Dysphoria means you know, uh, you know, a, a messed up sense, or an, an error an error sense of reality, of your, own, of your own self, of your own gender. The DSM-5, which is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual for Mental Disorders, it was in there, gender dysphoria was a you know, mental illness and it, and it had treatment protocols. But because of the ideology being forced socially they've taken it out of there entirely they've changed reality to accommodate sin and pain and wrong ideologies and the editor in chief the the doctor who's you know, for 30 years has been a leader in the field was fired for speaking out against it i've never seen anything like this matter of fact recently yep and this, this is an apolitical statement, it's just a fact of what happened. Uh, some of you understand that uh, recently there was a new Supreme Court justice who was put on the, on the bench, Amy Coney Barrett, um, who you know, is a Catholic woman who has you know, lots of children and some people figured that, that her background meant that they would, she would push, push a certain agenda. Other, some people were on you know, very opposing sides of her confirmation. Especially considering that she, uh, the person that she replaced, was an a, an abortion activist, who who just simply was, you know, like that. that that's her that's her history. That's you know, that that, that was her decision. You know? and I remember seeing this and hearing this. Um, somebody had asked a question about human sexuality, and uh, and said, uh, "Gender, you know." Something about gender preference. And she said, Well, you know, you have to honor somebody's you know, um, you know, sexual preference. And then somebody on the far other side of the aisle, someone with extreme, uh, you know, different ideology, um, said, Well, that's offensive. And before that session was over, Webster's had changed their online definition of human sexuality to go along with an ideology. And I was like, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? We're, and you ask me why I'm taking an evening to talk about the inerrancy of scripture? Because we've gotta have something to stand on. There has to be a given. Yes. That's our given. The word of God is true. And people can change definitions one after another and they end up eating themselves because nobody can be woke enough. Yeah. And 10 years from now, everybody who's an extremist uh, will still be a moderate. And then 20 years, they'll, they'll be a bigot. I just said something important there. Oh, it, it just changes back and forth and back and forth. And it just continues on this mudslide uh, uh, of rampant anti-God ideology. But there will be a church. There will be a church. And we may endure persecution. There are things happening we never would have imagined. Just north of the border. Pastor Artur, this Polish pastor, uh, you know, uh, who, who was drug out of his own church and arrested for holding services. It's happening. People who, who are losing their jobs and being arrested for preaching the truth of God's word that human sexuality is thus, one man, one woman. That is the prescribed and the only acceptable version of sexuality in the holy state of marriage. That's it, and it doesn't change. We have a responsibility to posterity, to our children, to not budge one inch, to get the cornerstone right, and to maintain the veracity, the truth of God's word in our church, in our lives, in our homes, in our families. What's gonna happen 20 years from now? I don't know but I will promise you this. You want me to give you, you know, I I painted a bleak picture. You, You want me to give you a good promise? Something encouraging? What has always happened when persecution has come against the church will happen again. The fake church will die and the real church will grow. Let's be the real church. Let's align and let's not move.